Well, welcome everyone. So we gather ourselves on this rather frosty, I think of it as winter in the Bay Area once Thanksgiving's come because it gets so cool, so cold. Um, it's been a big month, a lot going on in our weather and our state, and uh, I thought it was timely that this was the month where we celebrate the Parami or Paramita of Renunciation. And Gil, how do you say it in Pali? Parami. Parami. And the um, Nekama? The word renunciation itself? Nekama. 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 Okay. You know, um, all major spiritual paths have this element of renunciation if you really want to go all the way through. And this is Advent, and for those of us who have Christian roots, it's the month where we prepare for the coming of, memorialization of the coming of of the Christ child. And we do that by renunciation, through fasting, almsgiving, and praying in a way where one offers oneself up. And you may also be familiar, if you have any connection with any Christian denominations, that in many of the baptismal ceremonies where one is accepted into the community, one of the questions that you're asked is, this is so dramatic, do you renounce Satan and all his works? Um, and it's it's a, actually kind of a chilling question if you're an adult, but a, a child baptism or infant baptism is also very... Uh, common, and so you're holding your little one, and you're asked, on behalf of Dolores, do you renounce Satan and all his works? And, you know, so what does that mean? What does that mean? The first thought that came up for me in um, our context was hearing uh, my teacher, Joseph Goldstein, tell the story of Buddha sitting at the Bodhi tree and just, this is going to be it. He's going to sit there until it happens till enlightenment comes and all of the illusions and uh, imaginations and things that came up for him and, and his consistent response to get behind me Mara get behind me you know let go of that don't don't distract renouncing renouncing the illusion I think it's fairly straightforward for people who have embraced a path, as has happened here, to understand that renouncing unwholesome pleasures is part of being someone who would put themselves forward to care for others in a spiritual way. I think what's harder is renunciation doesn't only talk about unwholesome pleasures, but wholesome pleasures that are not uh, in sync with exactly what's most skillful at the moment. So what does that mean for us as chaplains? Um, You go in to sit with a a, a client or a patient or a person in a helping way, and they begin to talk about their situation, and you find in yourself a situation that's almost identical. And there's such a strong feeling and impulse to add your story to their story. And yet, very often, that's not the most skillful So when we make that choice to serve first the other's need and not our own, there's a renunciation that goes on there. There's a no. There's a really clear and a strong moment of no. Uh, So we're practicing this all the time, whether we like the word or not. That holding back of self or that relinquishment of self for the good of the other. And I, I have come to think of that as, oh, good, this is that practice of letting go of self at all. You know, there's something really positive and kind of relieving about it, too. Um, At the same time, I don't think we're ever finished with this. You know, uh, we may not give up the world to lead a holy life in a monastic way. Um, We may become pretty skillful in not indulging our unwholesome desires, whatever those might be. Um, And we, we may even psychologically become really good at saying, so how is my use of this particular thing or that particular thing impeding my spiritual path and making kind of a little practice of, of uh, letting that go, whether it kind of be use of our video games or you know the internet or chocolate when we've actually finished that project or whatever. But 
But it's hardwired at us, and I don't think we're ever completely finished. And it's interesting that today we'll be talking about death, because until we draw that last breath, and then who knows after that, we will be renouncing, 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 in order to stay clear about what our real goal is. I had an incident with my grandson this month that fits exactly with the concept and the teaching around um, renunciation. So I pick him up usually once a week at his preschool and bring him back to my house. And we have lunch and we have the afternoon together. And it's become a really special time for the two of us. And um, I won't tell you all the reasons why, but we have this little drawer in our kitchen that has treats in it. It's chocolate and cough drops and Skittles, and it has gummy bears. So we're coming in one Wednesday in Preston. I'm making, you know, the grilled cheese and the chicken soup and, you know, the tangerine, all the good stuff. And he pulls the drawer out and he goes, Lita, can I have gummy bears? And I said, no, Preston, we're going to have our lunch first. And, you know, it's not time for gummy bears. And he's quiet for a minute and I continue my preparation. And he says, I really want gummy bears. And I said, yeah, they're, they're fun to have sometimes, but we're not going to have them now. We're going to have lunch. He's still quiet. I'm still preparing. I don't have a very good alpha personality. You know, dogs take forever to mind me. It's often true with children and others. Um, to really hear what I'm saying. So this goes back and forth several times. And finally, you could just see him becoming more and more agitated. And he says with all the force of his body and his face is red and he's even starting to get tears at the corners of his eyes and his fists are like this. He goes, I really, really, really want gummy bears. And I stopped what I was doing. I went over and I got down with him and I said, Preston, look at me. And he looks at me and I said, Preston, this feeling you're having is called craving and it will not make you happy. And I guess that alpha energy the teacher was coming through there and he's kind of like you know his whole nervous system is so upset by this he gives me a hug and he says in a much quieter voice I still want gummy bears (laughs) (laughs) isn't that the story isn't that what happens you know it's in us it's in us so what do we do with it you know I think we watch it we name it We work with others who can help us with it, whatever our gummy bears are. Uh, And I think it's also important, you know, why, why, why? It's easy to see the good to others, how there's non-harming to ourselves. But ultimately, it's for freedom. It's to be free, free from suffering, free from suffering. That's a noble goal. Thank you. So uh, let's get free with a little sitting. We'll start now with sitting. And yes, you have trouble hearing. Let's see if we can turn the volume up for me. So I'm on uh, speaker two or mic two. That, that's probably a little too loud. Is that too loud? Because I'm hearing echoing, maybe a little lower. So how how's that now? Is that loud enough? Okay. Sometimes if um, this topic of renunciation or letting go becomes more alive, if, as Christina said, we realize how often we're doing it. And sitting down to meditate could be seen as, uh, you know, for some people, like, they finally get the candy because, you know, their meditation can feel so delicious. And so that's all it's about. But sometimes it feels like uh, I've got to let go of the candy. I have to let go of something in order to uh, be able to sit here and be present. So meditation can have both sides. And what's interesting is how both sides can be simultaneous in that it's possible to let go of something to be present, let go of your thoughts, for example. But as you let go, you're also letting go into something. You're, hopefully you're gaining something in the process of letting go of your thoughts letting go of the future and the past. And what you, so what is it you're gaining? Uh, what is it that's available here in this body, in this mind, 
that would be a gain, a boon, a joy, a delight, meaningful, valuable, that maybe has more gravitas than whatever you happen to be thinking about. So if, you f- if as you do this sitting, you find yourself letting go as part of what you're doing, that um, you might think about you're also letting go into something that is uh, represented by this word meditation. And then as we get through in the other, second half of it, uh, I'll offer some words of reflection. We'll sit quietly until then. So then as we continue, as we continue with this quiet time, maybe keeping your eyes closed, depending what the leaf blowers do, you might give up any idea of meditating. Just keep your eyes closed and listen to what I have to say. The first thing I want to ask is, what does the word renunciation evoke in you? What associations do you have with the word, with the concept? What relationship do you have with the idea of renunciation? What do you know of the joy of renunciation? Is there any association that you have, any experience you've had of joy coming from renouncing something? What experience have you had of the grief of renunciation? Do you have any experience where there was renunciation that maybe was not even your choice to renounce? Something was taken away and something had to be renounced, but there was grief involved. And what experience might you have had with struggle, with renunciation? With renunciation, giving something up was something you felt should be done, needed to be done. But there was resistance and struggle to do so. Have you ever experienced anger in relationship to renunciation?
and in your gut, deep inside, is the idea of renunciation a welcome idea or an unwelcome practice? Does it tend to evoke more fear or more confidence and eagerness? And how might your relationship to forgiveness shift or change or when you hear the following expressions of renunciation? I apologize. Thank you. I forgive you. Please forgive me. I love you. Goodbye. Renunciation is not a singular thing. It's a family of movements of the heart.
So I think after break we can rearrange if it works better for you. Beth, at the break we will rearrange for you at the break so it works better for you. Okay. Okay. So um, I think uh, renunciation is a challenging idea. Also, I think a, a wonderful, beautiful idea. But more than an idea, it's kind of required if we're paying attention. <laughs> it's uh, kind of built into the whole movement of the human, <clears throat> the intentions we have, the desires we have, the situations we run into. So, I, But I like the word renunciation quite a bit. <clears throat> I, I, I think different people have different associations with it. Uh, many people, I think, have associations of... Um, loss or denial or the deprivation that come from it. Sometimes from a religious background, renunciation is kind of a heavy feeling to it. In terms of Buddhist idea of renunciation, you have to appreciate that uh, renunciation is not a Buddhist word because it's an English word. And we just took the translators, you know, just was looking around for an English word that might be suitable for the word nekama, and they probably, because Buddhism is kind of seen as a religion, they were probably looking for, you know, some word that had religious associations. Like the word mindfulness was chosen in the late 1800s to translate sati specifically because it was a very Christian term and very strong religious connotations back in those days. And so with choosing a religious... Because the English translators wanted Buddhism to be a self-respecting religion. And so renunciation for some people has a very strong religious association, which is both positive and sometimes challenging because of what their, what their experience has been. Um, I like the, the Latin then to kind of you know, avoid the kind of go back to the roots of the word, the Latin word. In Latin, it means to announce again. And, uh, and so to announce again something that's important for you, to make a, so to kind of not just say something or do something, but to do it again with clarity, with oomph, with uh, like, this is what I stand behind, my words stand behind this. So it's done with some deeper reflection. It's, it's not just letting go. Um, there can be a lot of letting go, but in my mind, renunciation is a, a higher, um, or more, more robust or a richer phenomena than just letting go. You can let go of something for the moment, but to renounce is to have considered the situation in some deeper way and to put it in a wider, deeper context of life, of the, all the different aspects of life, and really kind of feel like, I don't stand behind this. This is something I'm choosing, uh, clearly choosing to let go of, uh, to stop being behind, to stop supporting, stop doing, for a particular purpose that I'm very clear about. So I think a renunciation has had a lot of clarity to it. Uh, otherwise, we just call it letting go. And so some people think people, you know, letting go is pretty good, but letting go is kind of, a, I think of it as just kind of a neutral, neutral word. You can let go of things you shouldn't let go of. You can let go of things without careful reflection or some deeper connection. But renouncing, to re-announce means to really have thought about it enough to be able to kind of say it again, like this, I really mean this. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, the classic idea of nekama, the Buddhist word of, uh, that's translated as renunciation, uh, it means to go, it, it kind of means to go forth. It has a couple of different etymological meanings in Pali, Sanskrit, but to go forth. And it's used f- uh, for monastic ordination. Like someone chooses to go, to be ordained, I mean, that's a pretty powerful re-announcing. You're making a public statement of this is what I'm standing by and this is what I'm doing. And uh, often the association in, in the Theravadan tradition is not what you're leaving behind, but what you gain in the process. And, uh, and so there's these two sides of renunciation sometimes, what's put aside, what we leave behind, and also what's gained. And sometimes if we focus more on what's gained, uh, it's easier. And I've learned in my life that um, if I let go of something and I don't gain a smidgen of joy or lightness or openness or clarity, 
Um, if I end up just being neutral and letting go of something, it's gonna, I'm not really neutral, and it'll come back and bite me. I haven't done the deeper inner work that needs to, go, to happen to make this really something that's healthy to do or appropriate to do. Because I can, I've operated sometimes just in the policy that I'm, sp- I'm supposed to be a good Buddhist, I'm supposed to let go, and so I just let go. And, and you know, I've done so much of it that sometimes it's so easy to do. And I had to learn that I had to stop doing it because it was so easy. <clears throat> and because that wasn't always healthy for me to let go just because I could. And so, uh, so anyway, so now when I let go of something, I look for the, what's gained. <clears throat> Otherwise, I, I, I might be in trouble. So what, what do we let go into? or What, what, what arises because of it? The, <clears throat> I think that uh, we're talking about chaplaincy here, which is to offer compassionate care to someone else. And uh, some people... Uh, their inspiration, their motivation to do so uh, is just a joy, it's a delight, it's like a yes to something very powerful they want to do. And that's wonderful, I hope that's the case. <clears throat> but sooner or later, unless you do it once every, you know, a couple of years, um, you know, in situations that you choose carefully, uh, you're going to end up, if you're doing compassionate care, you're going to end up in a situation which is not exactly comfortable for you. It's not exactly what you <laughs> thought you signed up for. The tragedy is going to be so much more. The suffering that's going on, the, 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 the <clears throat> unsavory aspect of the situation is going to be so powerful that can you, you know, oh my, I don't know if I can be here with this. This is like too much. There's too much blood, literally, in the situation. How can I be there? Or too much illness or too much just... the. the the level, degree of suffering you're encountering, or the degree of anger you're encountering, or, or the degree of institutional hurdles that you have to encounter. You know, you, this person needs your care, but, but everyone's standing in the way, you know, because paperwork and I don't know what. And, um, and so uh, w- when there are challenges in offering, sooner or later there's going to be uh, challenges in offering spiritual care, and it might require you to let go of something, but how do you make the letting go a form of renunciation? And the renun- so it's higher than just letting go. Letting go is just you know putting up with it kind of. But how do you find something actually that ends up to be a teaching or something that's healthy and not only for you but for everyone to to demonstrate that uh, there is something to be gained in letting go? Maybe a kind of freedom. Maybe a kind of. Uh, and not being caught in all the different things we get caught in uh, within ourselves, within the world, around us, um, by how we're, our care is being frustrated or what we think needs to happen is not quite happening the way it should. And it could be as, you know, that idea of renunciation could be as simple as you have a shift and your shift ends at 4 o'clock. And um, at 3.59 you get a phone call and saying, you know, or a message that's saying, you know, so-and-so in room... 102 really needs a chaplain. Could you please go? By the time the phone call is, you know, you've heard the story, it's already four o'clock when you're supposed to be leaving. So what do you do? Do you have clear boundaries? Do you have something that's actually clearly more important to do? You're tired, but, you know, do you renounce what you have to do? Do you renounce your little bit of self-care? because the situation is so dire and so need of a chaplain. Uh, and, you know, what do you do there? How do you, how do you kind, of, kind of struggle or maybe or discern what to do at that particular juncture? Is it just four o'clock and that's it? I'm sorry. You know, they can just die alone. Or do you say, well, look, this person's dying and no one else is there and this is hard. For, you know, I have these things I have to do, but, but... And then you remember renunciation. I wonder, is, is there some little crack in the situation where I don't just let go of what I want to do, but can I do this movement of renunciation? Can I do this thing? Which, and it, to use a Latin word again that I love, can I make this sacred? Which is what sacrifice means. So can I, how can I make this what I have to do here? So that when you show up at 401 or 405 in that room, you're not there re- reluctantly, you're not there, you know, resentfully, you're not there, but you're there because you've done some inner work that allowed you 
to, you know, step into it wholeheartedly. And then you step into a room and the person who's there um, is doing, has, is struggling with a lot of loss and potential loss. And so, you know, lo- you know, that's a time for renunciation. You know, they have, they're being in, enforced renunciation, or enforced kind of coping with a loss. And they might be angry. They might be really afraid. They might be full of grief and sadness around what they've lost or what they're losing. And, um, <clears throat> and so how does the idea of renunciation or letting go, or uh, how does that help you understand them with, and their, their struggles? Have you, that's one of the questions I asked in meditation about, you know, uh, you know anything about the grief of renunciation or the anger of renunciation, the struggle of it? Because that's what you're going to encounter in people. And maybe you don't want to tell them, oh, just renounce. But uh, you have a reference point inside of yourself of a possibility of how to meet them and how to hold space for them because you have some real tangible experience of renunciation and letting go in a useful, healthy way. So I'll end with one last kind of little teaching around that I think is related to this topic. <clears throat> that uh, if you want to, you know, there's many kind of uh, very brief summaries of what Buddhist practice is all about. So here's one. Um, don't make the situation worse. Make it better. <laughs> That's it. Don't make the situation worse. If you can, make it better. And so, what do you have to renounce? What do you have to let go of? What do you have to not do so that you don't make it worse? And sometimes it comes very clear. Well, I, I, you know, I have to not do this. And then what do I have to let go of? But also, what do I have to pick up to make the situation better? And surprisingly, sometimes picking things up um, requires a lot of letting go of something else. And that's why those words I read in the meditation, words like thank you, and I love you, and goodbye, and I'm sorry. And you know, to, do, to ex- really say those things sometimes is picking something up, is doing something. But you know, it could be a real struggle. Something has to be let go. You know, conceit, pride, hurt, all kinds of things. So I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to say here at all that renunciation is easy or that it's always what you should be doing, but it's a, um, it's, a, it's a really fantastic and powerful and appropriate and meaningful practice and movement of the heart that I hope that chaplains uh, explore for themselves, work, you know, ex- get to know the territory of it, the re- their relationship to it, all the different issues that can come up around it, all the different emotions that can come up around it, and get so familiar with it so that you're able to offer better care. And you're also able to understand what other people are up against in a realistic way. So in that uh, spirit, uh, in that, with the, uh, that idea, I think it'd be nice if you guys would uh, pair up with someone else in a moment and have a conversation about uh, your experiences of renunciation. What have you learned so far in your life about re- about uh, your relationship to renunciations, the benefit, the challenges of renunciation. What's your, how do you relate to all this? What's been your experience of it? And some of you maybe don't use the word renunciation in your ordinary life. You maybe you don't, you know, it's not the, in your working vocabulary. So hopefully what uh, Christina and I have said uh, will give you enough to find your way into that word. word. And you're welcome to choose a different word if you have this conversation. It just has to be close enough. And finally, uh, the suggestion is when you pair up that um, <clears throat> you kind of go back and forth and one of you say something, make, make it basically one point. Don't say everything you possibly could say about everything you've learned about the renunciation over your lifetime. You know, and uh, just say like one, one thing, one point. And, um, but, you know, not so long you feel the whole time, but not so short that it's just two words. You know, so, you know say, it, say it well, but say it briefly. Because it's an exercise, I think we've done this before, where if you can go back and forth and hear each other and uh, maybe think of this more as a listening exercise, that you might be changed by the person, what your partner says, 
or it might evoke new ideas that you've never thought about. Oh yeah, that reminds me, yes, I've learned this here. And, and so just kind of make one point, make it well, and like, as you need to. If you have a long story, long story to explain it, try to make the story brief. Because, um, you know, that's, then you don't have enough of the going back and forth. Is that clear enough? Yes? Can we visit our I thought we would do it when we came back, okay. because that's when we're going to be as a whole group. And, and start talking like that. Yeah. So that was what we did before, just before we start, just so it's fresh. And, uh, and someone volunteered to do it already, so I don't know, yeah. but you're volunteering too? Or? Well, I'm in charge of Yes, that. okay, we have someone who's a volunteer. And I asked Oh, oh. Me, so Dale is ready. Yeah, he was the one who asked me, or yeah. told me. <laughs> so we're perfect, we're aligned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> yeah. So uh, <coughs> I don't know if we're even or odd, but if, you, if there's an odd number, rather than just choosing yourself to find someone to sit with, and then what happens sometimes we have three groups of three because people t- just come towards the frontier of the room if you can find a, pair, a, a partner, and then we'll figure out how to make a group of three. <coughs>
not talking, try to contribute other, some thoughts. Thank you. And I'm so glad I left my, my copy at home because this is different and it's much more thorough. <laughs> so there are no accidents. Great. So uh, we can take a few minutes. It'd be nice to hear some of the range of experiences, reactions, benefits, challenges in having that discussion of renunciation. Kind of get a flavor of it all. Maybe some relatively brief comments. It needs to be turned on. I was uh, reading a, an article about the difference between practicing gratitude and being a grateful person. And I think, to me, it sounds like renunciation is like being a grateful person. I mean, yeah, because whatever happens, I'm so happy it happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's very mature renunciation, eh? Thank you. I um, it was easy for a couple of my uh, when I uh, stopped smoking, there was renunciation of smoking, but I also had a cigarette cough that was so bad that I had to make a choice. Um, and then when I um, stopped drinking, I'd hit a bottom that was made it so obvious. So when I stopped those two, it was really pretty easy. So there was the re- renunciation there. One of the ones um, that I decided to work with this time is um, the renunciation of self-hate and self-loathing. And um, as we were talking, um, it's like, well, what do you fill that with? And uh, we thought about that, and we thought, well, where do I go and I thought, no, let's just start simple and just go, it's okay. And as, um, as you said, and Sylvia Bernstein says, it's like, baby, you're, you're, I love you, baby. I love you. So uh, that's where uh, I've decided to start with this new <laughs> renunciation. Mm, thank you. So to be honest, I felt uh, like a pulling away from the idea of renunciation. And I think because it feels to me like it, the word itself makes me feel like a pulling away, like a rejection. Uh, didn't, and I think what makes more sense to me is a moving towards your intention. And um, I, we, we were speaking about Renunciation not being a judgment on yourself, and maybe that feeds into what you're saying. Um, not saying that that part of me is bad, but welcoming everything, and then trying to use that in a skillful way. So not saying, oh, this craving that I have is bad, and that makes me a bad person, or feeling guilty, or a judgment. And I think something about renunciation has this rejection of something about you, or something about your nature. And instead of rejecting it, saying... How do I use this to realign myself with my intention around what my real value is? Mm-hmm. And that feels more useful to me somehow um, than the, is a moving towards something as opposed to a pulling away from something. Right. Thank you. Nice to hear all the range of uh, possibilities here. So you mentioned anger. And, um, and I sometimes feel anger uh, about the, the conflict between my, my values and my cravings. So I'm, I'm, I'm at that point of choice um, where I have uh, you know, an intention to 
do something wholesome or abstain from something unwholesome, and I don't want to. And I, I like, and it's very strong. And I feel, I feel angry that I was created in this way where my my best intentions are at odds with my body or my brain being programmed to pursue something else entirely and um, and the, and and um, I hadn't thought of this but feeling greedy about the, the energy that it takes to overcome that and to, mm. to, to choose a more wholesome route. Great. This is great. So this, 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 it's getting richer and richer here, the, this topic of renunciation. So let's see if we can keep marinating in it a little bit more. Well, what, what's coming up for me, um, as far as renunciation goes, it's uh, I think... When I see the results of something that hasn't gone right, or see, just generally speaking, seeing the results of something as not skillful or not beneficial, over and over and over again. And um, at some point, I'm encountered with that, with a similar experience or a similar feeling. And the feeling itself informs me that this has this has been obviously this is familiar and this has been experienced in some form and rather than taking the same track it it almost like um it's almost like it's been polished so so well that there's no need to go on that route anymore. It's almost like... Um, it's almost like when, when you first start learning how to swim, and at first there's, a, there's a, like this, this struggle, a lot of water, a lot of splash. And then um, after months of, of trying, you, you suddenly are, are kind of gliding through the water. And that struggle sort of... I wouldn't say goes away, but it becomes more refined. You still have to swim, otherwise, you know, you kind of stay in the same place. So, somehow renunciation fits in all that, and I think that mm-hmm. it has to do with seeing through to, through to the end when doing something. Nice. Great. Thank you. Um, I'm thinking of two things. One was, um, I appreciated, Gil, you're, you're talking about how you need to look for the, you've learned to look for the, uh, the joy, the kind of release when you renounce something because it's, something's not quite right or it's not thorough. And that's something I've been kind of looking at in my life is uh, on a personal level, I can renounce a lot, but... Um, kind of going really around like for me question only question mark do I not care or not know what I want because I don't believe I can have what I want right so just kind of feeling into that so I can renounce but then kind of picking it back up again and looking very closely on a personal level is what do is there something here that I want that I'm not seeing that I'm not you know I don't need it but that maybe I would like um, so holding that kind of nuanced around renunciation uh, versus personal mm. preference um, not from a place of need so much um, as from a what what might I not be seeing you know mm. looking very closely and the other thing I've been reflecting on a lot is um, uh, relinquishment and so when you were talking, I've just been reflecting on that personally for myself. And then also, um, you know, I do this craniosacral body work and there's a lot of mirrors in terms of bodily processes, the physiology, and, uh, 
and these Buddhist principles, you know, so it's, always, it's quite interesting to me. It's just my personal reflections, and sometimes I write a little bit about it. Um, and so uh, I was thinking, of, as you were speaking, I was thinking of the difference between renunciation and relinquishment, and it feels like, and the renouncing, it's like the renewal of that vow or that intent or that, and then there's the relinquishment, which is kind of like a little bit what you were describing when it's just gone, you know, and it just it doesn't come back, and the desire doesn't come back, and the interest doesn't come back, and it's just there's this new spaciousness, um, and that actually happens in the physiology, you know, because when you when I touch someone's body, there's there's patterns to the movement of the tissues, and then what happens is they, um, as a process of release, they actually get more pronounced, and you get more the restriction comes greater. And sometimes the person says they're in a lot of pain, actually, and they're just lying there on the table, and they weren't in pain. So I have to talk to them a little bit about what's happening. And we'll get, you know, the, the pattern will become very acute. And then, of its own accord, through presence and witness, it actually, it releases. It's gone. And then something new comes in. And there's freer movement to the quality of tissues. And there's not a pattern for a period of time. Um, and so uh, this is just, for me, because it's something I do, it's a, it's a, it's a mirror for our, uh, that's what the physiology does, is what your body is doing, whether you're aware of it or not. So your mind is doing. And then there's how we're living our lives. Great. Great. Wonderful. <clears throat> so with that, we'll take a break. And let's start in here at uh, 10.45. And, um, and then also uh, maybe a couple of people can help Beth with... Uh, you, could you like sitting over here? Yeah, so we can figure out how Beth can sit over against the, the wall there. That would be great. <coughs> 